0: Turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. We began this passage last week, and we're going to finish it, by God's grace, this week. We're continuing to look at the marks of a Christ-exalting church, being reminded who we are, what God has called us to as his people. This past week, uh, since much of the studying for this Sunday was already done before last Sunday, uh, the Lord sovereignly opened up a time for me to look ahead to uh, Exodus, where we're going to be, after this short series, just stunning, the book of Exodus is. I, I, I can't wait to get in it, uh, seeing God's salvation, what kind of God we have, how He has always been a saving God. It's always been by grace. It's always been looking towards the Messiah Uh, It's always been uh, salvation uh, through a death. Salvation at a cost. That is the gospel. That you're saved from your sin at great cost. But the great cost is not to you, but to God. You simply have to hand over your life, and entrust it to God. Let him be Lord and Savior of you. And he already did all the dirty work. He, prayed, he paid the price in Jesus Christ. And so I just can't wait to get into Exodus. We'll be reminded of these kinds of themes and many more. But this morning we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12, let me read it to refresh our memory. We're going to pick up, uh, after we just highlight a few things that we saw last week, we're going to pick up where we left off. It says this, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, As you know, we have the boldness in our God to speak to you, the gospel of God, amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children." Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God you are witnesses and so is God how devoutly devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the god Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory? Title of this message is The Life of a Leader, Part Two The Life of a Leader. We saw last week that those who lead must lead in Christ's likeness, the leader must be marked by Christ-likeness. It's not good enough to be charismatic. It's not good enough to be compelling. It's not good enough to be courageous. It's not good enough to be a good speaker or well-dressed or to have a degree in management or some business, leadership, education. None of these things are enough. To be a leader in the church of Christ, you must be like Christ. As I mentioned last week, this is not a time for those of us that are not leading a ministry and not an elder or a deacon to check out. As I mentioned last week, if you're not a newborn or a toddler, you are leading somebody already. A child leads their younger sibling as an example of obedience. A teenager leads their siblings and their friends towards devotion to Christ. A man or a woman, no matter their age, already is leading those younger than them as well as their peers either to or away from Scripture and Christ himself. A wife, a mother, leads her children as she helps raise them according to the Word of God, pointing them to Jesus Christ. The husband, the father, leads his children... And his household, giving them direction according to Scripture, letting it be, as we saw this morning, the measuring stick for everything else and the guide towards all of life, managing the life of the family and guiding them in spiritual truths, spiritual direction. In the church, women lead other women and children in the Scriptures, In ministry, in discipleship. In the church, men are called to lead generally, setting the bar of godliness and sacrificial love to those in their ministries and in their spiritual care. We all lead somebody. The question is how are you doing at it? The question is where are you leading them? Men, this is a topic that we often need to be reminded of. You are leading your family. If you are married and or have children, you are the leader. Period. God has instituted that into the makeup of what it means to be a man, to be male. You are at the driver's seat. You are at the wheel, men. It's just just a question of where are you driving? Are you aimless in your navigation of those that are in the car? Or do you have the map out the Word of God and are you driving to the destination? We saw last week that leadership isn't bought or earned or forced, rather leadership is lived. We looked at the first three points last week, I believe, that as a leader, In whatever sphere you are already leading, God calls you to lead in your faithful speech, your blameless character, and your selfless love. Today we'll see that God also calls you in your leadership, wherever that may be, and everywhere that may be, to lead with your humble service and your godly example. Just by way of reminder, to lead in your faithful speech means that if God is ever going to use you to do anything of any spiritual value, if your life is going to mean anything, and your impact on those around you is going to have any worth, you must speak God's words. That's the model that Christ gave. That's the model that Paul gave. They were faithful to say what God says, no matter what. And we take great encouragement from the fact that the the word of God and the gospel of God is the power of God. That when we say, when we speak God's word, there is power there. And it is exactly that power inherent in the word of God that fueled Paul to keep on speaking, even if it meant suffering or mistreatment. But not only must you be faithful in your speech, you must be blameless in your character as a leader. And we saw that it needs to be free of three things. Your character needs to be free of three things. Flattery, greed, and pride. Pride. Flattery, and greed, and pride. We're not to tell people what they want just to get what we want out of them. And that is all too common in the pulpits of today. Making people feel good so that they'll fill the offering box. Especially as a preacher the preacher and the teacher is called to say whatever God says and let the chips fall where they may. So we don't lie and tell people that things are okay when they're really not just so that we can get peace out of them rather than confrontation. We don't lie and tell somebody that they're doing just fine in their spiritual walk or that they are doing just fine in their sinful lifestyle just so that they'll accept us and that we'll be seen as tolerant. That is flattery with a pretext for greed. That is telling somebody a lie about themselves just to get what you want out of them. Flattery and greed have no place in the life and the character of a a leader, nor does pride. Because pride is to use your position, to use your authority for the sake of authority. It's just to flex your power. But Jesus Christ clearly tells us in Matthew 20 that this is how the Gentiles use their leadership. They lord it over the people but it is not to be this way amongst us we, because whoever wishes to become great amongst us must be our servant. And whoever wishes to be first in the church must be the slave of all. Christ says, I gave you that perfect example. I am king of the universe, but I gave my life as a ransom for you. I came to serve you. To lift you up out of the miry clay. To set you on a throne at my side. To seat you in heavenly places. I came and was lowly and gentle of heart. So that you might find peace and rest for your souls. That's what Christ did. Christian, are are you leading, are you using your leadership, your influence for the good of others or for the advancement of yourself? You must lead with faithful speech and blameless character and selfless love as well. Our, Our lives, our character must be marked Instead of greed, flattery, and pride, it must be marked by gentleness and affection and selfless, sacrificial love. We ought to have a great concern for those around us. We ought to have a burden that keeps us up at night for the loss and the wayward. You must love them. You must love those around you, Christian. You must be with them often. You must be greatly concerned for their spiritual health. This is the mark of a leader. It's not about getting your agenda done. It's not about you guys are making me look bad. It's not about any of that. It's not about your embarrassing me. It's not about your making it so hard for me to lead you. It is, leadership is coming from a heart of tenderness and care Long suffering to bear with the griefs and the shortcomings of those that we lead and to love them, anyways. We come this week to verse 9. Paul says, oh, that was introduction. Verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Here we see that Paul actually worked two jobs. He worked diligently at his trade of tent making in order to not be a burden to this new church that he planted you see paul would come to a city and go right into the synagogue and start preaching the gospel of christ as liberation from the law of the old testament the old covenant he came Declaring the new covenant has come and it has been ratified. It has been validated. It has been brought into action by the blood of Jesus Christ. He came announcing good news. And so God in his grace, he, he turned the light on. He saved some in that setting. And they had to remove themselves from the synagogue because they were no longer Old Testament saints. They were New Testament saints now. And so they had to devote themselves to a new church, as it were, a new synagogue, a new center of life, a new fellowship. And as they did that, they needed a teacher, and that was Paul. So Paul would come evangelize, some people get saved, and he would continue to teach them and to preach and to evangelize and grow the church, both in number and in depth. During that time, Paul, so that this new church wouldn't be burdened by trying to feed him, clothe him, and house him, he took it upon himself in the early days of the churches to work two jobs, to support himself by his own work outside of the church, to feed himself, to give himself lodging by the work of his own two hands as he made tents. But, he also worked another full-time job. He worked for that new local church. So what Paul did, he worked night and day to support himself in the work and to relieve the church of the burden of financial support. He worked night and day both to make tents and to make disciples I can't Im- imagine how much sleep Paul did not get and yet it is in that context in that state of working night and day that he says in that state in that situation I proclaimed the gospel of God. He worked night and day, supporting himself, and was still faithful to proclaim the gospel of God. He was still faithful to his post, to lead. This sounds exhausting. Now, our snowflake American Christian minds quickly respond, Paul, don't burn yourself out. Be careful. You're going to burn out, Paul. This is too much. You know, if you have to step back a little bit, and not preach as much or if you have to whatever it takes what needs to be alleviated is you Paul you got to get some sleep you got to have some R&R that's our quick response often isn't it we use the pursuit of not burning out as an excuse to not be on fire at all for Jesus Christ don't we i speak to myself as well we use this excuse of i got to be careful i don't want to burn out where the reality is is you have no risk of burning out because you're not burning you're barely burning for Christ. So, how in the world are you going to burn out? You have no worry of burning out because you're not on fire for the Lord. So, we cloak our self preservation with this fake godliness of, well, I got I it's a marathon, I got to run the, the long race. And that's true. One person cannot do everything in the church. We must share the load. One group of people cannot do everything in the church. Otherwise, they will quickly reach that point of exhaustion. But most often, most of us are not in danger of this. We just have misplaced priorities. And we'd rather be on fire and be exhausted, get spent at other things like work, family, entertainment. We will gladly tire ourselves for these other things rather than tire ourselves for the Lord. Christ says, if you are going to be an effective leader, you need to lead with your humble service. Humble service is sacrificial. That's really what this is. It's sacrificial living. Sacrificial living is humble service. It is acknowledging that it's not about me. I must decrease. He must increase. That is the humble heart of the servant. And that is the kind of leader that God uses. Instead of having me time, the servant, the godly leader, fills his or her time with others' time a time for others. Think of Paul when he says, you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you we proclaim the gospel of God. You can imagine Paul probably didn't have much, if any, me time. There's no space for that in this kind of life. Now, of course, God has given us good things. God has given us things in life to enjoy. But even in those things where you can unplug and just enjoy for a time... Even in those times, it's not about you. It's about getting recharged so that you can get back into the fight. So be uh, strategic with your vacation. Be strategic with your sleep. Be strategic with your rest. Use it as a means to recharge and just enough so that you can get back into the fight when you're done. Christian, joy and happiness is found in you decreasing and Christ increasing. That is where joy and happiness is found, is where you are very little and Christ is very much in your life. When you are very small, and Christ is huge in your life, that is where true joy and happiness is found. Strength, vitality, even energy is found in dependence on God and sacrificial service. If you've never known what it's like to enter into a ministry context, completely exhausted already, and then to be carried through that ministry on the wings of the Spirit as He strengthens you and gives you vitality to do His work, oh, you're missing out. You are missing out because in it it is then that you can say it is Christ in me and not I myself it is then that you can say to Christ be all glory and not to me so be independent it's okay be tired if you're tired good call out to god depend on him And enter the fight. Enter the work. Lead with your humble, sacrificial service. Isn't this the model that Christ gave to us? Yes, he often retreated to find rest. Yes, he slept at night. Yes, he grew weary. Yes, he grew hungry but it was the faithful pattern of the life of Jesus Christ that he rose up early to pray. And it is there in the prayer of the the pre-dawn morning that he found his strength. It is there in the strength of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ did so many things. If anybody has an excuse to be tired, it's Jesus Christ himself. But yet he never gave up. He never gave in. In fact, as time went on in his earthly ministry, the, his service grew more and more intense to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you remember, he didn't get any sleep the night before. Because he was dragged from trial to trial, to court, from court to court. And he got zero sleep the night before he was crucified. And yet, in that sleepless state of exhaustion, it was Christ who accomplished the greatest service, laying his life to ransom us all. It was there in that state of exhaustion where Christ filled by the Holy Spirit in the power of God was obedient to the point of death on a cross. He was active in his crucifixion despite the sleeplessness. What a model. So, lead with your humble service and lead with your godly service Example, we close the passage with this, verse 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul was like a coach to the people under his charge. He called them to greater lives, to a higher life, filled with greater things done for God, to greater obedience, to greater godliness. He called them to that and coached them on, urged them as a coach does those under him. But Paul did not tell them to do anything that he had not already done. His call for them, in verse 11, the exhorting, encouraging, and imploring them to, in verse 12, walk in a manner worthy, his calling to them, to do these things, to to, to live up to their calling, his urging and command for them to, to, to step into the role that God has for them and to live in obedience and godliness, that urging, that command, that call from the coach Paul, you could say, was not, do as I say and not as I do. That's not the call. Instead, Paul modeled for them devotion, righteousness, and blamelessness. He says, verse 10, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. In his devotion... His righteousness, and in his blameless character, Paul gave them a model for how to live. Notice he says, you are witnesses of these things, of my conduct, of my character. Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, To do the same. So just living in front of people is not enough. Discipler, just going through the curriculum and reading the book and reading the verses and filling out the answers in the book Is not enough. You must also live what you teach. But the flip side can be true as well. Just your life and just being a godly man, godly woman, is good. Giving people a model for how to live for the Lord is good. But it's not enough. Your life is not enough. You must also teach. You must also exhort. Leaders must call on others to follow them. You must call them to do as I do. There, there were three things that Paul did with this church, he says. He said, I exhorted, I encouraged, and I implored. Now there's an order to this. There's a progression in these things. To exhort means to call somebody to action. To call somebody to action. It's not barking orders, but in a positive and helpful way to call them to action. It is to come alongside them and say, come on, let's do this together. That's leadership. It's not the all too common tone of being critical and judgmental and harsh and heavy handed. It is coming alongside that person whether it be a peer or a friend or a child it's coming alongside them and saying come on let's do this together look what I'm doing you do it too to encourage means to speak with somebody Instead of speaking to them, you're speaking with them. It has this idea of coming next to them and speaking in their ear. It is the word used for how you comfort and lift up someone who is faint hearted in 2 Thessalonians. So as you lead those who are discouraged, who are faint hearted, who easily give up, who are melancholy or more disposed to the Eeyore mentality, that's not the time to just really lay it on them. It's not what God says to do. It's the time to stop what you're doing, come alongside them, and to gently speak to them. To lift them up with your words. To remind them of all the resources that they have in Christ. To remind them that they are a new creature in Christ. That they are no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of God. Their whole reality has changed and they've just lost sight. It's to encourage them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That though they sin, they have an advocate with the Father whoever lives to intercede for them that god is not going to give up on them and neither are you to implore to implore means to insist so you have exhort encourage and implore to implore means to insist on something to to urge It's like being the witness in the witness stand and speaking with a measure of authority that what you are saying is the truth because you witness it with your own eyes. In the courtroom, a witness witness in the witness stand is not asked to come up with hypothetical options about what happened in the crime, or to give their impressions of the person accused of the crime. They are not there to speculate or hypothesize. They are there to say what they know, what they have seen, and to say it decisively. That is what it means to implore. So, Christian, there will be times when your fellow Christian, your child, your spouse, your disciple, will be tempted to compromise the demands of Christ. They will be tempted to disobey the Lord, to compromise the standard of Scripture. But it is at those times where you must stand and insist the truthfulness of Christ's word. You must be able to say, This is what God says. You need to take it up with the boss. It is to say to that person, What you're doing is wrong, where you're heading is dangerous. Turn around now. This is what God says. So we see this progression, this pattern for how we deal with people that we're leading. You first exhort them and say, come on, let's go, let's do this together. And then as they stumble and fall and try and get their legs underneath them and learn how to walk the Christian life, those times when they stumble, you, come, you stop what you're doing and you come alongside them, and pick them up. And you encourage them to keep on going. Amen. But then even in, the, in that path of life, as you lead others down that path of Christian life, they will, at times, veer off the road. And it is your task leader, mother, father, discipler, s- sister, brother. It is that time for you to stop what you're doing. Go to them. And to say, get back on the road. Get back on the path. Where you're going, the end is death. You need to get back onto the path of life. And you implore them. You beseech them. You urge them to live for the Lord. The goal of the exhortation, the goal of the encouragement, the goal of this imploring is so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom, into his kingdom and glory. Verse 12. I did these things. I encouraged, exhorted, and implored so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God calls us to his kingdom. He calls us to his glory. Fully and completely and perfectly revealed and experienced in heaven. That is the destination of our call. That's where we're going. His kingdom and his glory. We are those that are headed that way. But the kingdom of God and the glory of God is to be our pursuit even in this world. The kingdom and glory of God is not a reality reserved for heaven, but rather fully Manifest and experienced in heaven, meaning that we in part and in measure experience and promote the kingdom and the glory of God here on this earth. That's why he says that you walk today, you walk today in a manner worthy of that eternal future calling. Do you see? You are not citizens of this world. You are citizens of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. And so as you traverse this nation, this world, your citizenship is not of here. And so you should not live like a citizen of this world, rather a citizen of heaven, though you be here for now. So what does this look like? The Christian must constantly live out his calling. Christian, you must live out the calling of the kingdom and the glory of God. What does that mean? To spread the kingdom and to exalt the glory of God in this world. That's what it means. That's what we're about. That is where you're leading people to. The kingdom and the glory of of God. That's why we're here. Is to spread His kingdom. And to lift high His glory. This is the calling that motivates ministry. It motivates service. It motivates your holiness day to day. It motivates your endurance to run the race and to get up again. It motivates purity in the life of the Christian. This calling motivates evangelism. So, Christian, as a leader, you must first be gripped by this calling yourself because everyone leads by example. The biblical leader leads by their godly example. If I can say a word to you, fathers, as I began... So I will close. Men, you are leading. And according to this passage, you are leading by example. Did you know that? Husbands, men, you are leading by example. So if you are unfaithful to the Lord, if you regularly neglect the gathering of the saints, if you do not esteem the devotion of prayer, if you neglect the reading of Scripture in your own life, if you lose your self-control and lash out in anger often, if you have no self-control and follow the enticements of lust and immorality, don't be surprised that those around you will follow. Don't be surprised that your children will grow up to say it's all a sham. There's no truth to it. And they might never say because, it's because of you. But men, you need to give an example that is worth following. You are already leading by example. Now Christ gives us the ultimate example, doesn't he? John 13, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to be or to the Father, having loved His own, it says, who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The Greek word is telos. He loved them to the end, to the completion, to the utmost. See, the goal of Christ coming into this world was to end up on the cross and to sacrificially love us by sacrificing himself there on the cross. He loved them to the end. and We get a taste of what that end looks like. What is the telos of love? During the supper the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot the son of Simon to betray him, and Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Notice the context. Verse 1 is that this is the end of love. This is the fulfillment of love. And this love is to be displayed to even those that will probably betray you. And verse 3, this love is to be shown Even if you're in a position of authority or leadership, what kind of love? He got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. That's leadership. Jesus Christ is our perfect model of what it looks like to lead others. And you might think, well, you know, if I go that far, then I'll lose respect. They'll look down on me. If I just keep on serving everybody else, then how can I really be a leader? Well, friend, you need to remember that as Jesus knelt there with the towel in the basin of water and as he scrubbed the dirty feet of his disciples, there was no question in the room who the leader was. It was Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, there was no question who the most humble man in that room was, who the most loving man, Man in that room was. It was Jesus Christ. That's what he's done for you. He laid aside his glory, he girded himself with frail humanity, and he washed you and made you white as snow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, Lord, forgive us for looking to the world for an example of how we should lead. Forgive us for trying to be like the CEOs and the supervisors and the, the business managers of the world. Lord, we are not called to be like them. We're called to be like you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Remind us of the gospel, of all that Jesus did, from his place of authority. And now, Lord, you say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I command And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, may we be faithful to make disciples. May we be faithful to lead those around us. I pray, Lord, that they would see Christ in us so that all glory would go to our great leader, the champion of our faith, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.